This episode of Bad Associations briefly mentions sexual assault and suicide, which may be upsetting to some. Listener discretion is advised. Hey everyone, welcome back to Bad Associations Podcast. This is Shev. On today's episode, I talked to Isabel. Isabel was baptized at 17, but left the cult just a year later at 18. In order to escape the cult, she went through some extreme measures, such as moving 3,000 miles away to live with a complete stranger who she eventually married. We talk about a wide variety of things, from getting her GED at 38 and being a Latina woman in tech. She talks about her eye-opening experience at just six years old after watching the films The Gods Must Be Crazy, and how her art journaling has really helped with her healing journey. It was such a great chat with her. I hope you enjoy. Can you tell me about the first time you remember questioning the Jehovah's Witness faith? Yes, I have the exact memory. Um, I was born in the late 70s. And um, in the 80s, mid 80s, probably, there was a movie called um, The Gods Must Be Crazy. And it featured, from what I can recall, I haven't seen it since I was a kid. um, The movie surrounded a story of these tribes in Africa. And I remember seeing these indigenous people living in huts and they weren't wearing much clothing and they had a language I had never heard. And I remember thinking to myself as a child, well, how can God be mad at them? How can Jehovah be mad at them for not speaking the same language I do? How are they going to read all of these books? They don't have a door. How are you going to knock on their door to tell them about God? This seems weird. Like, it doesn't seem like that's right. And that they were somehow going to be destroyed because they couldn't take the message in or something like that. And I remember asking my parents, well, wait a minute. This doesn't make sense. And I was probably like five or six years old and just kind of like, I don't get it. This just doesn't seem fair. There's all these people like they don't like, how are they going to read these books? And my parents were just like, oh, you know what? Just they just kind of like stop asking questions. Like, don't Mm -hmm. don't ask anymore. That was sort of my first. I remember as a young child, just sort of having those questions like I don't understand and I don't understand why they're bad people. And I, I think the second experience was, um, as a kid, our backyard backed up to a little mosque in the neighborhood and there was a fence and the kids would be playing, you know, after prayers and whatnot, I'd be in my backyard. There's this little girl come to the fence and we'd talk and she'd tell me about her God. And I would tell her about my God. And she would tell me about how, well, if we're not good, um, Allah is going to put us in a big old oven. And, and I remember I was like, well, my God's just going to destroy everybody. <laughs> it's a competition of whose God is cooler. <laughs> yeah, yeah, whose God is cooler. And I was just like big oven or like fireballs. <laughs> and I just remember thinking like, but we're just, we're little. Like we don't deserve to be in an oven and we don't deserve, you know, it just was sort of those little, those little questions. And it's like young child. And I never felt like I got any satisfying answers mm-hmm. i just kind of got more reasoning read the bible or you questioning is not right and those sorts of things so i was very i i was probably one of those but why <laughs> but why <laughs> kind of kids very inquisitive and 
um, constantly, my little brain was thinking of all these different things and it actually never sat right with me from a small child. And I have pictures of myself as a kid and you could see it in my face. Like I just looked sad, depressed, angry. (laughs) Even from five years old, I just looked like this just didn't feel comfortable to me. And that's probably my my earliest memories when I started questioning things like this just doesn't feel right. And both of your parents are are or were in the truth. Yeah, they both are still in the truth. No, yep. and so they convert their story. Uh, you know, well, our story, I guess, as a family, mm-hmm. um, they moved away from. They were relatively young parents. They moved away from their families um, at a young age to a geogra- a different location geographically and i believe you know they from what my parents say it's they had young family and they were questioning their own faith of origin um which happened to be catholicism and um they were looking and so it just happened to be that someone my dad worked with or someone came knocking at the door um and they were kind of open to the message and then they kind of lost track of them and then i think when i was probably about three or four years old they began studying um, and then, like, I recall my last birthday, I was five. That was the last birthday I ever had um, that was celebrated. I don't really recall any Christmases or anything else like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they, my, my dad, I think, got baptized first um, when I was about five, five or six years old. Pretty sure it was five. And um, from that point forward, we were all in. And my sister was a little bit older, so she 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 kind of embraced it. It was exciting for her. For me, I was like, "What's happening?" <laughs> you know? Yeah, um, yeah. But my parents are still active. Uh, my sister toes the line. <laughs> <laughs> were they the only ones in your family that were in the organization? Yes. Or when they came in, they brought in other people. They were the only ones out of our entire family, both sides. Um, and it, I remember as a child, it used to cause a lot of family fights. We'd go to, because oftentimes the only times we took vacation, uh, was during holiday breaks from school. So right. it would be Easter time and Christmas time. And, um, typically because we were the ones who moved away from everyone, we would travel to visit them. And so, um, there became a certain point where it was like, Hey, our kids don't, we don't celebrate Christmas. So don't buy Christmas presents for our kids. And so we would, I would be the six-year-old at Christmas at my aunt's house and everyone would get presents and, and I wouldn't, right? And so yeah. just sit there and watch everybody open presents. So depressing. And, and I remember a couple of times there were arguments where they would, because my grandmother was a devout Catholic, all his, you know, my dad's sisters were all devout Catholics. And there was just this sense of like, you betrayed your, the religion of your mother, you betrayed, she thinks you're going to hell. And it's like, you know, at the end of the day, I'm not sure which one's better, right? <laughs> but, but still, there was this sense of betrayal, this sense of you walked away from what what you know, um, and that that was hurtful. And why would you do this? And of course, they would be arguing back with the Bible and say, "Oh, it's because the Bible says this, etc." And um, eventually, I did have one cousin who became a Jehovah's Witness. Um, as an adult, I think his wife was uh, raised as a JW and then she kind of strayed a little bit and then she met my cousin and they dated and I think it became, hey, you know, if you want to get married, you got to convert. Yeah, <laughs> so, bully someone into it. 
Yeah. And so um, they, he did become Jehovah's Witness and they had children. They raised their children as Jehovah's Witnesses. And um, they have both, uh, they're no longer with us. And so I think their children might still be, but that's about it. No one else in the family ever became Jehovah's Witnesses. So what was it like for you at school then? Oh, school. One of my earliest memories is sort of just like a couple of pieces there are time periods that stick out in my mind um one were specifically about school parties or holiday parties in your classroom um specifically valentine's day yeah i remember you know exactly everybody had to create like a little box like a little mailbox Mm -hmm. and i couldn't and then on the day of when they would pass out the valentine's day you know the valentine's rather and cookies and cupcakes and that i had to leave the room Right. So I would sit in the office. Um, so that feeling of exclusion started really early on. I mean, it even stood out with like not standing up to salute the flag. Mm-hmm. Um, and then our holiday parties, having to leave the classroom, be sitting out, being by myself in the office. And I recall one instance in sixth grade um, in our area, they would plan a trip to camping, like a, a camp and um all the area schools do it all around the region and then my elementary school in order for you to do that you had to participate by um selling christmas wrapping paper like those fundraisers or like you know christmas tins of popcorn or that sort of thing Mm -hmm. and um of course i wasn't allowed to sell it my parents were like you can't go you can't you can't sell this stuff to go and i feel like the adults in at school, you know, the, the school counselor, the principal, the teacher, they must have talked amongst themselves and they were like, this isn't really fair. We get it. She can't sell this. And so to exclude her from participating in this trip, they basically came to me and they said, hey, we have a way that you can raise money to go this trip. You can come work in the office and file for us mm-hmm. and you can earn your way to go oh, and I was like of them. <laughs> yeah I just remember and I remember telling that school counselor years later like after I'd graduated from high school and everything years later I just told her I said you know that was really thoughtful like I was sixth yeah. grade I was 11 years old and for you to find a way for me not to be excluded from that experience was like really nice <laughs> yeah because it wasn't but, it wasn't a yeah. part of, like they didn't have to do that and so the fact that they stayed alert enough to know your situation and know like it's not like this person physically can't or financially can't it's because even if they wanted to their parents are going to put the x to it so that's really nice yeah and then i think high school i mean i think that's i didn't have the opportunities to have friends from elementary school and those sorts of things so i didn't mm-hmm. have they were outside of the organization. Of course, I had friends that were in the organization. But then as we grew older, um, especially moving into high school, I think those relationships started to strain, uh, mainly because I think all of us as teenagers were acting out on our teenage urges in terms of, you know, I have a crush on a boy or I have a boyfriend or, and everybody was kind of doing it. And, you know, mm-hmm. Um, there's all this snitching going on, like, oh, so-and-so saw you with this boy, so they told yes. the elders or they told their dad. And um, so I think that really strained the Jehovah's Witness friendships that I had because then it became a competition of, like, who was holier, <laughs> like, you know, yep. who was the better sister. Um, and so I had a best friend um, in high school, and I felt like 
I had been called into the little room a couple of times, you know, because I had a boyfriend in high school and, um, her, you know, I don't know. I think they were probably labeling, they had labeled me as a bad association. And so she stopped, you know, kind of hanging out with me and, and her mom wouldn't let her spend time with me anymore. And she was pushing more towards people who were like regular pioneers and that was her path. And so it really isolated me because the only friend I was allowed to have was an organization didn't really want to talk to me anymore. And so then I, I was friendly with people at high school, but of course I couldn't carry those relationships outside of school. I lived in a time period where we didn't have cell phones and we couldn't text each other. So, you know, I couldn't have friendships that I could hide from my parents. Right. They, they, so I think high school became a lot more challenging because you were growing into, but there's so much more social pressure. And the fact that you can't participate in normal, you know, adolescent activities like parties or dances or anything like that was, you know, kind of singled you out. Mm -hmm. So people stop wanting to seek out your friendship because like you can't do anything after school anyway. Yeah. So I think in, in high school, um, it was a lot more challenging. Um, and additionally, I had done pretty well in school. Um, I like to read, I like to learn and those sorts of things. But then I think when I got into high school, I went to um, like a college prep type high school <clears throat> and it was really difficult on me because I started failing. I, did, I wasn't passing my classes and my parents didn't really ask. Like it wasn't, it wasn't a big deal. Like well, were cares? they aware? You know, they were partially aware, but then I also hid a lot of it from them. I would take the report cards and sign them. And so there was a failure at the school too, because it wasn't until the summer before senior year that they called my parents and said, your daughter's not going to graduate from high school. She's not going to graduate from high school. And so they started having me take summer school and night school and adult school and like all this stuff to make up for it. But I never, I never did. I went to school up until the last day of high school, but I actually didn't graduate. Um, wow. And it wasn't really a big deal. It was like, oh, well, well, that's, you know, you don't, you don't need it to serve Jehovah. Oh, <laughs> Oh my. <laughs> and um, so, you know, I had a few different teachers that told me things like, um, you know, you were at this, this high school and you were on academic probation the whole time. And um, it would have required three teachers to agree to kick you out. And no three teachers through your entire four years could agree to kick you out. And I almost feel like they should have, but <laughs> no, um, <laughs> I think it's once yeah. again, teachers be like really good teachers being aware of the circumstance and like, kind of like reading yeah. the room. Yeah. Because I think that they realize that it wasn't a lack of, of ability or intelligence or anything like that, but it was more of, I, you know, it turns out now that I was diagnosed as an adult with ADHD. And it's likely that's what mm. contributed a lot to, because I passed all my tests. I, I knew the information. I just wouldn't do my homework. And mm. for, and why didn't I do my homework? Because I spent, I don't know, several hours a week going to church, getting to bed late because we had yep. to go to the meetings. Um, you know, Family I wouldn't study, get, field service. Yeah. Yep. It's like service. The Friday, uh, you know, Bible study. And then the Wednesday meeting and those they wouldn't finish until like 9 30 at night my parents yeah. would always want to go grab something to eat so i didn't get home until 10 11 sometimes and 
So there's a lot of focus on this is your priority. And so I, I wasn't doing homework. Um, and it wasn't like anyone was sitting and saying, yes, sit down and dedicate your time to homework. And so mm-hmm. I think, you know, the organization failed me sort of in secular school, but they don't really, you know, you were given the message of like, school isn't important uh, having a higher career definitely don't go off to college um mm. so all of that I think that's why my parents were like well it's no big deal just go get a job because you're not going to go to college right <laughs> um and so I remember even one time um not to interrupt but was, even in the yeah. idea of like go get a job because you're not going to college well your job opportunities having a high school diploma would have helped that so it's like even if like we're not even saying like go to college and have this crazy career that pulls you away from jehovah i mean just enough to like have like make ends meet and survive you know with life necessities like they didn't think and they didn't have enough forethought to think well she still needs to have something at the basis like even the lowest level so that she can not have any sort of holdbacks I mean, I think there's also there's an added element to my story, which is that I'm a child of immigrants, right? And so fair, my fair. my parents sort of come from, you know, they had sixth grade educations, and you know, my father was able to build a career out of out of that, right? He didn't have right. a high school diploma, and so I think, you know, there's sort of a cultural difference between the schooling system that they had in their home country versus, you know, the American school system. Um, so I I think that most parents, especially those raised here in the United States, would have that same thought process. But I think for them, it was kind of a a little bit of ignorance, right? Well, I don't have one. I have a sixth grade education. Like she finished high school. Surely that's enough. Enough, yeah. Um, Yeah. And I mean, in that sense, I don't fully blame them because it is in their mind is like, I got this from nothing you know I'm way behind you so if I can get this far why the hell can't you but also every year that goes by the expectations of us in like the secular world is getting more like harder and harder and harder and so it's possible that you know even with that sixth grade education he did become successful but what's being asked of us now in this you know every new generation is being asked for way more to get way less absolutely and I think you know my story has a happy ending that even, you know, despite not having the education or rather the um, college degree right. or even the high school diploma, I still managed to be pretty successful in this, in the secular world. Right. Love and so, um, you know, it's like, despite them. <laughs> so they were right, but they were right. So now it's like, you're proving their argument, but like, it's, that wasn't the point, you know, like, it's like yes, it worked <laughs> yeah. out well for me, but that's not really the point. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, because I think the truth is that I'm the exception and not the rule. And that's honestly true. Because if I've talked to anybody throughout my life who say, well, you didn't go to college and you're successful. I'm the exception, not the rule. That is not true for most people who don't graduate from high school. That is not true for most people who don't go to some college. And I happened to get my GED when I was 38 years old. Mm. And um, I was able to kind of work that through therapy, but I, I spent years and years and years holding myself back because I carried so much shame because I did lie on job applications and say that I graduated from high school and that I had a high school diploma. I didn't take a job at a pretty prestigious university 
because I was afraid they were going to do my background check and find that I didn't have a high school diploma. Mm. And so I really, Let's I was embarrassed. Honest, they're, they're not checking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I was able to get through 38 years of a career without anyone ever checking. Yeah, they're not. Um, but it's, it really did hinder my self-esteem, my, mm -hmm. you know, because I was so worried that I'd be found out. So I wouldn't push myself. It was really that imposter syndrome, right? Spending Absolutely. a lot of time trying to figure, figure that out. But I've had a successful career in technology. I've been in tech. So a woman in tech. Yes. Um, I'm a Latina. So a Latina tech, like mm -hmm. a very, very small percentage of Latinas in tech. And, um, and I did that because I worked hard. I had the right mentors. I did all that stuff, but I did it. And I say, and I did it on my own, right? No family support, no, you know, that sort of thing. I, um, there's a huge part of my story, which is how I left, um, which mm -hmm. I'm sure we'll get to, but you know, despite it all, I did well for myself and, um, I'm proud of that. And now I'm getting to the point where I'm actually telling my story. I told my story for the first time at work, which I worked for a pretty big company and was able to sit on a panel for international women's month, um, and be able to tell my story that I grew up in a fundamentalist sort of religion that didn't really encourage school and that, you know, I dealt with imposter syndrome and I dealt with that lack of confidence and, you know, look where it got me today. I still kept trying. And now instead of being ashamed of my story, I'm embracing my story and say, this is, this is a part of who I am. And this is, um, if anything, I should be proud of the story and not ashamed of it. Yes. <clears throat> Applaud. High five. <laughs> I agree. I'm, I'm so glad that you were able to do that panel because I don't, I, I agree with your, your statement that you're the exception, not the rule, but in the sense of like our stories are not unique in that there are so many yeah. people that our parents, because they're the authoritative figure, they have so much say so on our roots and our foundation. And so it almost seems like when you finally get to that point where you're healing and you're filling in the gaps that they made, you're like taking 12 steps back because you have to repair all the foundations first in order for your, your growth. And that takes a really strong person because a lot of people yeah. would let that be like, well, I can't, I can't because my foundation's all fucked up because my parents let me down. And it's true, they did let us down, but I mean, it's not a, an excuse um, to just throw it away. Be like, oh, well, I guess I'll never amount to anything. No, of course, because at a certain point, you have to take responsibility for yourself, right? And so, and and that's sort of when I decided to leave and how I left and everything else, that was on me. And I look back on it now, you know, being in my 40s, and I go, okay, well, um, there are certain things that I've had to live through and endure that I didn't know how to handle. I didn't know how, I didn't know that this was trauma. I didn't know that this is traumatic. And it isn't until, you know, I've spent years and years in therapy. I knew I needed it, right? And <laughs> But sort of, I think throughout my life, I had other trauma right. I was identifying and trying to fix. And, you know, and I didn't go back to the start. <laughs> you know? Yes. And, and kind of, um, and now it's like almost full circle when I am looking at that, that my origin story, so to speak, and, <laughs> and realizing just like, how did I become me, you know, and the unique circumstances that I had, but then also the not so unique circumstances, right? The way that we were all taught was all the same language. 
the mm-hmm. same day at the same time. Um, and just how, how much in common we have with people that have grown up in this organization and are leaving or have left. We all have some common stories um, and how they manifest themselves in the future may be different for all of us and what we do with it and how we leave and um, what our family structures are like in the aftermath. We all have differences, um, but I think we all have some common traumas. <laughs> yes. And um, so that I appreciate. And it's something that I've been trying to do now actively, even though I left over 25 years ago or actually coming on exactly 25 years ago, um, I'm proactively seeking out community of people that have gone through this and that are XJWs um, because I think I need to. I'm at the point where mm-hmm. I need to be to share my story because that's part of working through trauma is to share your story. And um, that's why I'm talking to you today because I feel like this is just as important for other people to hear just as important as it is for me to share it. If there were more stories if this was a thing because i guess i can't say if there were more stories that were not really it wasn't really a thing social media but if this was a thing back when like you you know and or i were leaving i think it would have been a little bit easier maybe uh, maybe a lot easier for me i'll say um and so my hope is that all of this collective of us sharing our stories can be that support that was not a thing 10 years ago when I left. So, you know, let's, let's use social media for the better. Um, you, you were saying, so you, after high school, I feel like you were talking about going to the workforce. Um, how was, I was going to ask you, how was your like social life, you know, once you're in your, like your teens and like young adult life, what was that like for you? I didn't have one <laughs> at all. So, Inside um, and outside? Of no. the cult that is? No. Um, because inside, like I said, our congregation was mostly, like my age, they were mostly young men and there's very few girls. And um, like I said, the one really close friend I had was like not allowed to really hang out with me anymore. I did have a boyfriend, a couple boyfriends in high school. But of course, that was all secretive. That was all. And it probably impacted the relationships in general because I wasn't able to just do, you know, go hang out at their house or go spend time. It it all had to be not necessarily from their parents, but from my parents, it had to be all secretive. Right. um, And exactly. And so I wasn't allowed to I didn't drive. I didn't actually get a driver's license. until I was 21. That's a whole different story. But so I didn't have transportation to just go. And do stuff and I had job but like my sister worked with me so I'd have to come home with her um, and I actually left when I was 18 oh, so okay. um, and the story of my leaving is why probably why I didn't have much of a social life um, but yeah I left at 18 so I didn't get to experience a traditional like coming of age into your adolescence to your young adulthood and and doing else like that like I had to grow up pretty fast because I was on my own at 18 mm-hmm. um and ha- and not only a- on my own I moved 3,000 miles away from where I grew up and anyone oh around me and so um <clears throat> so yeah I didn't I didn't I can't say that I really did have a social life um that was any in any way shape or form normal um or even after I left 
Did you, were you baptized or no? Yes, I was baptized when I was uh, 17. I, I held out for as long as I could because I knew once I did it mm-hmm. that I was stuck. Yes. <laughs> uh, so um, I did. And I remember the day I made the decision because it's like, you know how when, were you baptized as well? I was. Yeah, you were, did you? Yeah. Okay. So, you know, I have to go through the questions that they ask you to see if you're ready for baptism. Yes. Okay. So I had known those answers for a long, long time. I've been in it since I was a little kid. Right. And so at any point in time, I was ready. I knew all the answers. I just didn't want to do it because I've been questioning for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. Um, So I remember sitting in the congregation in the kingdom hall, sitting there and I'm listening for the umpteenth time, someone at the pulpit talking about Armageddon. And that we're going to die and that, you know, the end of times is the end times and it's near. And it was like, my best friend wasn't talking to me. I was labeled bad association. I remember my mom looking at me and kind of being like, I'm really sorry that you don't really have any friends anymore. And then she, and then in the next breath was like, but you're not here for them. You're here for Jehovah. Right. (laughs) Yeah. But I'm a human being as well. Come on. (laughs) Exactly. And then I just remember going, oh my God, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. If if he's right, I'm going to die. Mm. And I remember being so afraid that I went and said, okay, fine, I'm going to get baptized. And I went and I did, answered all the questions. We're like, okay, it's kind of a blur when, when I got baptized. But I remember almost immediately after immediately doing it, I was like, I made a mistake. Why did I do yeah. this? because I could have left later. Although leaving didn't seem possible for me either, because again, being a child of immigrants, being a, you know, Latina, like it's already part of that culture and tradition to stay at home until you marry, right? Until right. you get married, you stay at home with mom and dad if you're a girl. And so, you know, already have those traditional cultural values which by the way, all the rest of my cultures, culture has been wiped away because of being a Jehovah's Witness, but that part of the patriarchy was still intact. (laughs) Um, So it really was like, well, what do I do now? I don't know how to get out of this because I can't support myself quite yet. Um, I can't leave, but I made that decision at 17. I got baptized, immediately regretted it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I was like, what do I do now? (laughs) <laughs> yeah so you didn't waste much time because it's only a year later and then you you left did yeah. you leave with like some sort of warning and or plan or was it abrupt I had a plan it was abrupt to my family but I had a plan right um so and this is where my story gets all a little crazy but um on my 18th birthday so it would have been you know, the year prior to leaving, um, I met somebody on the internet Mm -hmm. and this was a time where home computers were starting to become a thing. I happened to have a friend who helped me build my own, build my own computer. So I was already dabbling in like chat rooms. So now I'm finally for the first time, this is like the late nineties, mid to late nineties, I'm getting exposed to chat rooms. And so then I'm starting to meet people, talk to people exposing me to people that I would have never otherwise been exposed to because, Mm -hmm. you know, you're locked down in your general community or or your congregation. 
And, you know, I met this person. He was older than I was, first flirting. And, you know, he hears my story and, you know, and he offers up a way out. It's like, you can come live with me. Come live with me. I'll buy you a plane ticket. You can come move to um, where I live. And um, there you go. So and he's how old? For, he was about nine years older than I was. So he was in his oh, uh, late 20s. Yeah. And I was 18. And um, so we enabled this plan. We enabled this plan that on that day that we chose, um, I would get on a plane from where I lived and move across the country. And um, I had prepared in advance ahead of time. I had um, gotten rid of things that I could get rid of. I secretly, or so I thought, packed my bags, duffel bags. Um, the day of, I enlisted the help of a friend and his girlfriend. I told my mom that I was uh, gonna go donate a bunch of clothes or go sell some of my clothes. Um, and so I had, all I had were like a, a backpack and a, two duffel bags. And I got dropped off at the airport. Oh and I remember gosh. it was raining. I remember it was raining and I'm leaving and I'm like, I didn't have a cell phone, but I had a pager. <laughs> Throwback. <laughs> so, yeah. And my pager was blowing out. It was my mom. And she's blowing out my pager. And she had gone shopping with me a couple of days before. She looked for the items that I had just purchased in my drawers and she realized they were missing. So she knew something was up. I did call her when she started paging me at first and I was just like, what's going on? She's like, I don't know, something's weird. Like your clothes are, you know, are gone. I was like, oh, well, I'm selling stuff. Well, what about the new stuff you do? You know, so it was kind of like the question. I was like, mom, everything's fine. Just don't worry about it. I'm literally at breakfast with my friends. I'm going to go sell the clothes and then I'll be back. I never came back. <laughs> and so um, I moved across the country to a person that I had never, ever met in person, only talked to on the phone. As a matter of fact, there was digital cameras were not really a thing. So I never really even knew what he looked like until he mailed me pictures in secret. Um, oh my gosh. So I only knew that he would be holding a sign at the airport. And there's so much of that time period that I don't remember that is just completely blocked out. My therapist says it's because your brain is protecting you. Yeah, probably. <laughs> this this sounds terrifying to me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So um, when I get to my destination, there's already phone messages on this person's um, like voicemail that was a voicemail whatever they used to call it the answering machine okay and it was my cousin one of my cousins who happened to have this person's phone number because i happened to call him on her home line or something she somehow had it and she suspected that maybe that's where i went they called that number and were like hey we just want to know is isabel there we're really worried about her um and then my mom or maybe dad left a message too and I was terrified. I was just like, oh no, what have I done? And I 
wrote them an email and I said, okay, I moved here. Um, I left. I want you to know I got married. <sighs> because I planned this all out to tell them I got married because I knew in the eyes of true Jehovah's Witnesses that yeah. I yeah. would not be disfellowshipped if I was married. And my dad had, he was an MS in the congregation and I didn't want him to also be impacted by my decision. I didn't want him to have his position removed. I didn't want to be disfellowshipped because I didn't want them to announce me in the congregation in front of my parents and cause them shame. Um, so like I had planned all of this, I'd orchestrated this all so that I would be out of their house. I would be married at least to them. I did get married within six months. I did do that. <gasps> what? But, and, yeah, that's that's a whole. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Okay. Um, <laughs> and later, I recognized a lot of what happened in that situation. But yeah, so I told them I got married, my decision, and that I'm fine and everything's okay. And they were relieved. And it was funny. My mom was relieved that the person that I had moved with and then I married wasn't my age that they were older she's relieved that they were older because because uh, what are, because what sides, are two, yeah because yeah, what are two 18 year olds going to do how they're going to survive at least he's older or I don't know what you know her perspective was but from my side the person that I ended up moving with and ended up marrying was significantly mentally ill right mm -hmm. and I was too young to recognize a lot of those things but they suffer from bipolar depression um, and things like that and so they were having sort of a an episode when I arrived and was very conflicted. He was like, I don't know if I did the right thing. I don't know if this is the right thing, right? And so me, a fresh little 18-year-old, um, that just basically, from what I had ever known, ruined my life. Yeah. Right? Because I wanted to go home. That's the truth. I wanted, I was scared. I wanted to go home. Like, what am I doing here? I don't know this person. I don't know this city. I don't know this state. I don't know this part of the country. I don't have any friends. I don't have any family. I don't have a job. I have nothing. Mm -hmm. And I want to go home. But then what stopped me is go home to what? Yeah. You what am I going to go home to? dropped a bomb on everything back there. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to be disfellowshipped. I don't know if my parents are going to want me back in their home. They're not going to want to talk to me. They're not going to, you know, so I just had to suck it up. I just had to go, okay, this is your decision. And unbeknownst to them, I made the decisions that I made to protect them. Right. Cause I did yeah. like at the end of the day, I still love them and I still care about them and I don't want to hurt them. And my choice is my choice, but I'm going to do it in the least destructive way possible. And <laughs> that's what I chose. <laughs> It's like, I so badly want to disagree with everything you've done. Cause like everything about it, I'm like, oh no, 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 no. You're so young. But then at the same time, like I can see the rationale behind it. I can see it's why that survival the safe. Yes. It seemed like the safest, smartest exit strategy at the time, mm -hmm. because what was the alternative? The alternative is what I keep working a job. The alternative is I disassociate in which case, in that case, it was like, I, it's as good as disfellowship. It's, I do something that I become disfellowship for, in which case they're not talking to me and I would be exiled and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. The third one is, I mean, I didn't even know fading was an option. I mean, ultimately that's what I did, 
You know, I, I moved and right. I was like, okay, you know, no, you, none of you have a hold on me over here. But the third option would have been, I keep working a minimum wage job until I can get enough money to move out on my own. And then not only are you faced with the sort of religious view on that, because my sister lived until she got married to her parents, which is in her thirties, you know? Yeah. And, um, so then where was I going to go and how were my parents going to take that? Oh, how dare you move out? Now we don't have control over you. Now we don't know what you're doing. Now, mm -hmm. you know, you're much more susceptible to Satan. You know? mm -hmm. So I provided a life or a, I made a decision that they couldn't argue it. There was no basis for which to argue with me. I'm now my husband's property. That's patriarchy, right? That's the religious way. And that is the cult's way. That is society's way. And they never said anything. They didn't even say like, let's meet this guy. Like, what's he about? Where does he work? How do we know he's sane? Eventually, but that happened maybe a year later that I, I flew back and he came with me. Yeah, it happened later. And it was sort of like, here's my husband. <laughs> and by that point, you were legitimately married. Yeah. So how did you decide, like, like, let's actually become legally married and, like, make this official? I mean, I think that while we were chatting online, I mean, that was sort of the romanticized vision. You know, you think you're in love, both sides. And for me, I was just like, I need to get out of here. And this is my ticket out. Yeah, it's desperation. Like, I don't, you know. And so when I get there, it's sort of like you have to learn to, like, and I don't even know if it was really love. Ultimately, what I see the experience as was it was an opportunity for me to grow up. And that's what I did. I mean, if you think about today's science on the brain, um, mm -hmm. I was right on time. Like by the time I turned 25, that's when I realized that this marriage was not going to work and that it was not a, he was not the right person for me. Not, I was not in a good situation. And my brain, it's like one day it woke up and said, all right, this is what I want. This isn't it. Um, made plans, sold the house that we had purchased a year before that. Um, I packed up all my things and moved back to where I was from all by myself. And I did it. I just said, you know what? This is not right. And I got divorced and left. <laughs> Good for you, though. Because yeah. it could have easily turned into another like desperation thing where it's like, well, let me just stay here, you know? Well, I've alluded to other traumas and, and some of those other traumas I experienced was infertility and miscarriages. So, mm -hmm. you know, that was something I was pursuing when I was living there, you know, um, it, you know, doing IVF, doing all those things and getting pregnant and having miscarriages. And so I, I think, I guess my upbringing makes me very confused about whether or not I believe and things are meant to happen or things, you know, uh, whether things are meant to be. But sometimes I do think that like, man, that was a really good thing that I didn't end up having children with this person because I would have been stuck um, or at least for a, a little while. But ultimately what I learned from the lesson was that my upbringing made me very vulnerable to predators and he Absolutely. was a predator and I may have been his first victim, but how, you know, I won't get into details, but I, there have been several others after me. And that has been a hard thing to come to terms with on many different levels, because you think that you're smarter than that. You think that, well, I could have spotted that, but I didn't, I was, a, I was a child, you know, and I was a, in desperation to survive. 
and this was a way out and I was completely vulnerable to someone that wanted to prey on someone's vulnerability and their neediness and so you know I think growing up as a Jehovah's Witness it makes one incredibly codependent and so it that that was it that was the opportunity and I can take ownership of that and say no well I sought the opportunity as well and it helped me escape but I was preyed upon too so that's a reality maybe because you went through that situation with the cult you were stronger and able to leave the next manipulative environment which was your husband to somebody else maybe they would have stayed longer because they were like well I've never had to make a sacrifice like this I've never had to jump the gun and move three thousand miles away you know well definitely I think there was a certain sense of like I didn't go through everything that I went through to just go through this bull exactly yeah yeah (laughs) i i you know i deserve to have a partner that respects me i deserve to be treated right and are treated well and um ultimately that led to it was almost like a light bulb went off i turned 25 and by 26 i was done and that's typically when your brain (laughs) is developed and that and that executive function part of your brain is telling me this is not a good situation you deserve better leave and that's what I did and and uh so ultimately my story is I've been married three times (laughs) because what ended up happening after that is I moved back to my hometown Mm -hmm. um and so now I'm near my parents where I had been living across the country for a good period of time living my life openly and freely now here I am so now I'm back reverting in a way to that little child who needs to be obedient to her parents and afraid and has so much shame and guilt about wanting to be an independent person that has nothing to do with Jehovah's Witnesses, right? Yeah. And so the expect the expectation is, oh, now you're back and you're single. Well, you can't date. You got you got to get married if you want to have a family. Like you, there's no dating, so there was no concept of like I'm out of the organization. I'm back in my hometown and then now I'm going to be bringing boyfriends home to meet my parents. Like that just wasn't going to happen. And so I think because of everything I went through from leaving to being in sort of a difficult marriage, having my self-esteem just completely depleted, I came and I, you know, met someone and then it was like the opposite. Like they were so kind and so sweet and so whatever that I was just like, okay, I want to have kids and I can't have kids if I'm not married and I have to get married. And so I feel like I rushed right into something else that felt safe and that could appease my parents to get off my back of like, what am I doing with my life? And I don't, you know, and that was unfortunate. Right. And, and that was difficult because the person was very kind and, and very lovely and it wasn't fair to them ultimately. And we tried and it just didn't work out. And my final marriage, the marriage I'm in now, it's so completely different. And, you know, I am thankful to my husband that he's encouraging me to tackle this trauma and go through this stuff and feel safe doing it. Because your other husband wasn't a Joseph's either, was he? No, he, no. Mm -mm. That'd be the word. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it would be. Just make it like that would be bad enough. (laughs) The funny thing is that when I did come back, my, my mom was like, Oh, so I told her, I was like, oh, I have a boyfriend. Her first question was, oh, is he a Jehovah's Witness? <laughs> like, no. <laughs> and she was disappointed, like, oh. And I'm like, yeah. And so, you know, I've had those conversations with my mom, especially like, I'm not a Jehovah's Witness and I'm never going to be. 
Like I'm never going to be. And like those conversations are difficult because honestly, my mom has looked me in the face and said, oh, you just like you have a demon in you. I, I might. Yeah, I might. I like it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we'll find out, I guess. Like, <laughs> yeah. Nothing we can do about it. If he does if he does have a hold of me, I mean, what is to do about it? <laughs> yeah, he's stronger than I am, right? <laughs> yeah, clearly. <laughs> but you're, I'm glad that your husband now is like helping you through this weird stage. I don't want to say that we're needy because we're rude to ourselves, but there's layers to it. And some days it makes you feel like stronger because you're like, oh, I've been through like this really fucked up situation. And then other yeah. times it kind of blends in with that imposter syndrome, like you were talking about where you're like, oh my God, how could I make such poor decisions? But it's like, well, we didn't have the same cards dealt to us as everybody else. Yeah. And I think there's, you know, and people who love and care for us I think what comes out of them is anger mm-hmm. they're they're where we should be at some times right or should yeah. have been earlier <laughs> you know they they look at it and go that is so wild to me and I can't believe your parents did that to you and then they they're angry and that is the delicate balance of like yeah I'm angry too but I'm angry at the organization I don't know that I'm right. angry at my parents because I feel like my parents are just as much victims as I was And I think the other thing that I recognize is that, because I look at my sister and I go, gosh, how come you don't feel the way I do? Mm -hmm. And I I have to come to terms with, because the parents she had were different than the parents I had because she was the firstborn. They were younger. They were not part of that religion or that cult. They had different life experiences at the time that she was born versus when I was born and they were raising me. Interesting. Um, And every single one of us has had a different experience with the cult or as they would say, their religion or the truth. So like my parents were actively engaging, especially my father were actively engaging with faith and what do I'm missing something from my mother's faith or Catholicism. I'm missing something. And I have these two little girls who I need to raise to be good people. And how do I how do I do that? And so he was looking for, because he literally went to a Mormon church and then the Jehovah's Witnesses came knocking and he felt like they made the most sense because they had a Bible in front of them and they could flip pages and go, see, look right here. It says that in the Bible. Mm-hmm. They were trained um, well. Exactly. And whereas my sister came in from my perspective, older, a teenager, and she could, I'm sure my parents may have honored her her choice if she said no I don't want anything to do with that right because she's older and she can make her choice I wasn't I was literally be by the time I was one and five years old they were they were kind of dabbling in all this and so for me it didn't feel like a choice at all it was this is the way it is this is what you're going to deal with you don't get any more birthdays my sister had had 13 birthdays I'd gotten a few and only one I remember right my sister got 13 Christmases and everything else. And so the novelty wore off, right? Gotcha. Um, they got her so, at a good age. <laughs> exactly. They got her at a good age where she's thinking, because what teenager doesn't think they know it all. So she's thinking right. like, oh yeah, this is cool. This is new. This is interesting. And I'm pleasing my parents, which is very much, uh, you know, sometimes older children are set in that role, right? To To kind of like you know where the youngest child is the rebel yes <laughs> <So> that's me 
So I've come to terms with, I have to accept that because for so long I sat with, why doesn't anyone understand me? Why does no one understand my pain? Why does no one get it that this was hurtful to me? And you don't get it, you don't get it, you don't get it. And then I realized mm -hmm. it's because they don't get it and they're exactly. not going to get it. And that's okay. And they have different experiences and they're dealing with it in their own way. And I had a different experience and it, and it impacted me in my most formative years. In those critical child, early child development years, I was rejected. I was left out. I was threatened with murder. Oh my <laughs> like, quite literally. Yeah. You know, weird. Yes, weird if you put it that way. Yeah. And so if we were not good and obedient, we were told our role in society or in the organization as girls were to become loyal, wives. servient <laughs> wives, right? Yeah. So servient wives and to be submissive. We weren't allowed to wear pants, <laughs> like literally in the kingdom halls, like, you know, so there's so many things about my experience that were just different from theirs. They, I, they got a choice. I didn't. That's the thing that's most hurtful for me to try and express is that you got a choice. I didn't get a choice. And they can probably tell me, well, you would have had a choice. Yes, but at what cost? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because that's the thing. The cost would have been being ousted, being shunned, being treated like less than when you're taught lessons that like someone who knows the truth and then leaves the truth is like a clean pig returning to slap or a dog eating its vomit. That's literally what Verbatim. we were told. Yeah. And then not only that, but I had an opinion that spoke out against the organization. I'm an apostate. An apostate has always been a dirty word, a dirty, 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 vile word. When you're trained from a young age that you can be forgiven by God, mm -hmm. except if you commit the sin of apostasy, which is a sin against the Holy Spirit for which you will never be forgiven. Once you mm -hmm. become an apostate, you sin against the Holy Spirit and it doesn't matter. If you repent, you will be struck down at Armageddon or you will not resurrect. Yep, it's not really yeah, a choice so you're it's not a choice. And I've always, as a child, have felt like God speaks to us in whatever language we best understand. That's the only way, if I even believe in a God, but I did as a kid, but I reformed it in my head as a way to understand how is it possible that God would allow all these people to have all these different faiths and that all of them think the others are wrong. I just made that uh, that connection in my head. No, God speaks to us in whatever language we can understand. If that's nature, if that's Hinduism, if that's Buddhism, if that's tarot mm -hmm. cards, if that's like whatever, then that's what God or how God is speaking to you. And I learned very early on that God is love. And Jehovah, or the Jehovah that the Jehovah's Witnesses worship, is not a loving God. He is mean. He's yeah. a bully and and he's and he's jealous. What do they tell us? He's a jealous God, right? Yeah, as if that's like a compliment. And, <laughs> yeah, he's murdery. Like mm -hmm. he's he's a murdery God. And and that was sort of like um something that I was talking about through therapy. It was like, you know, and I made more and more of these connections as I age and, and also get therapy is like how sometimes people pleasing or things like that it's just like how i fear rejection yeah rejection is such a big thing for me why 
I spent my whole childhood trying to live a life simply so I wouldn't be rejected, but not just rejected. It was so that I wouldn't get murdered at Armageddon. <laughs> right. Like literally. I remember a brother giving a speech that he directed it at children. And he mm. said to us children in the kingdom hall, he said, look, you guys have to obey Jehovah and do all the things. Because, for example, if you're out in the street and you're in danger, your dad can take you in his arms and wrap you with his coat and protect you. But there's a certain point where you're going to be too tall and your feet are going to stick out and your head are going to stick out and your dad's coat won't protect you. So you have to learn to protect yourself by doing everything that Jehovah commands. And I was like, picture I, that image is still stuck in my head. And this was their goal. And, their goal was to say something so profound and so fucked that it stays in your head forever. So even after you're gone, maybe you come back because that statement, you know, ate at your yeah. your soul for so badly. That's exactly why I chose to get baptized, right? It's that vision of like, my dad can't protect me anymore. And I'm close to being an adult now. And he really can't protect me now. And when I made that decision, I know it was out of fear. And then there became a point where I decided I don't want to be a part of anything if it's about fear. That's not love. You can't tell me that God is love and in the next breath, threaten me with death. Right. Right. Like that's, that's, I don't, if that is not an abusive relationship, I don't know what it is. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know what age, but the, talks where they started making emphasis about your parents can't save you forever and their mm -hmm. actions wrong or right don't affect you forever and when I look back on it now it's kind of like who decided that there was like this age cut off like <laughs> where in the bible did it said as soon as you legally turn 18 or as soon as you're 25 or whatever like it's not like buying lottery tickets where there's like an actual written down law that says you have to be a certain age to purchase them you know like it but for some reason in the kingdom hall they were once you hit a certain age your parents even if they're following everything jehovah says like doesn't mean you're going to make it to paradise or make it through armageddon yeah and and part of me like when i think about that and everything that's just been kind of shoved down our throats and in our minds all these years like that's kind of why it's easier to forgive my mom especially but my parents it's it's this right they've been fed the same drivel that I was as a kid and they've been in it for way longer than I have mm -hmm. um you know 40 years probably and I can't blame them necessarily for wanting to bring me back yeah because the way I describe it is like we're the walking dead they're looking yeah. at us and at any minute I could actually be with them having dinner and any moment Armageddon could come and I'll just be struck dead and they will never ever ever see me again but yet the yeah. entire motivation for them to become Jehovah's Witnesses and stay Jehovah's Witnesses is because they want to see the people that have died. My parents both lost, mm -hmm. my mom, my mom lost her parents when she was 23, both of them within oh. six months. Oh my. And so she's been living her almost her whole adult life without her parents. And her only hope is to see them again. She's now lost siblings. That only reinforces the yeah. idea that you need to keep toe in the line so that you can survive it long enough to have them resurrect. So when they see me, they go, great, I'm going to see my parents again. I'm going to see my sisters again, my brothers and everything else, but I'm not going to have my one daughter. That's not their fault, you know? And so I 
channeling my anger at where it's rightfully deserved, which is toward the organization, which is toward the governing body, which is, you know, which is my rage of my experience. But I also have to let some of some of these things go because it's important for my life and my happiness. Acknowledge them, talk about them, but not let it rule rule my life. And thankfully, my parents still have a relationship with me, although I find oh, it good. strained. You know, I do find it strained because I feel like I don't want to talk about religion. I don't want to talk about any of those things. And then I get a little angry when they do, but I still at least have them in my life. I think I wish it could be different. I wish they could be mm -hmm. different type of parents for me. I wish that we could have our own traditions. I wish we can have these things, but we don't. And so I have to accept those things and move on and find them in my own life some other way. Yeah. And I think, like you said, I've, I've had to think about that as well, like the Walking Dead situation of realizing that if, if we believed as hard as they believed, I don't know if I would behave any differently. Um, I'd like to yeah. think that I would. I think I'd like to think that I'd say, oh, fuck this whole shunning business. And, you know, maybe still have the belief, maybe still play the game, but I wouldn't shun my kids. I'd like to think that. But yeah, if you've been told some of these people their entire lives, if they were born in the religion or at least decades or whatever, they're thinking, if I don't follow what I'm being told, my own child's blood is on my hand. Like I need to do everything I can to get them back so that they don't die. And so yeah. maybe we would do the same thing. I don't know. I try to keep my judgment as low as possible while also moving on as well. I mean, I guess you could, you know, this might be a controversial topic, but I guess you could think about it like vaccination, right? Mm -hmm. It's like if you knew you could, if you knew you had information that you truly believed that could save the people that you love the most, if they only did this one thing, yeah, or in this case, a hundred million different things, <laughs> yeah. but if, if they only did this thing, they would survive and and then you felt like the disease was closing in on you closing in on you and closing in on you like they believe the end times are mm -hmm. i bet you'd be like every chance you get have you gotten the vaccine please think about getting the vaccine please it could save your life please i can imagine the desperation right and then on the other side how it feels for like but you've seen all the data you know all the data and you know it's true. How could you <laughs> deny getting the vaccine to save your life? Like, I, if you look at it that way, it's like, okay, I get it. But the thing is that they are being sold a conspiracy theory. <laughs> so. Yeah, I I think, I think I've said this before on the podcast, but I know I've said it plenty in my personal life, is that when it comes to judging my parents, I think, with a lot of therapy, I came to the realization that I'm not behaving any differently if I'm just as verbally abusive and harassing. So mm -hmm. years ago when I first left, I would mirror the energy. So you're shunning me, I'm shunning you. I'm not reaching out to you because you don't reach out to me. Um, if you think it's okay to send me pamphlets, I'm sending you pamphlets. If you think it's okay to tell me about the conventions, I'm going to say Merry Christmas to you. Like I would mirror the, to the point where it was petty it wasn't yeah you know because I mean I don't think Chris I don't even really believe in Christmas but she actually believes in the convention you know so that's the difference is like my behavior yeah. was inappropriate either way I stopped because of that mentality of if it's wrong for them and I feel hurt every time they do it to me why am I doing it back to them like let me show them not I'm not a Christian I don't identify as a Christian but let's say like they say the 
the Christian mentality and love thy neighbor and blah, blah, blah. Let me show them how it's done because this is how it's done. Church aside, Bible aside, Christianity aside, whatever aside. If someone tells you, hey, I don't want you to text me about the convention Christmas, you just don't do it. If someone says like, hey, I'm gay or I'm living someone out of wedlock, whatever the situation may be, regardless of your personal opinion or your personal lifestyle choice, you think, well, that's none of my business. I don't live in that house. It's not my body. It's not my, let me, let me just shut the fuck up. And I think that's how I felt. It's like every, you know, I lived with people before I was married and there would be lots of times they would say things that were disrespectful. Um, And I would just write really quick back. Well, you married someone that you're not even compatible with because you just wanted to get laid. How is that any better? You know, and I'd mirror it back. I'm like, you know what? I'm not doing this. I'm not going to be this ugly, nasty person because you think you're saving my life doing it. Well, I think I'm saving your life every time I show you how to be a better person. So yeah, two can play this game, but I'm going to do it the right way. You can go about it the wrong way. Right now, I think, um, right now she is shunning me again, pretty confident. It's this podcast because of what you just said about apostasy being the, the biggest yeah. then. So fuck it though. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think that's kind of the stage that I'm at is like, I have my story to tell and how yeah. you interpret that or how you label me it's up to you. And if you label me as an apostate and you decide to treat me as such, then that's something I'm willing to accept. And that's on you. Yeah. What's the worst they could do at this point? They already are. You just, if you don't want to talk to me, that's fine. You don't have to talk to me. It'll make my life less complicated in in Mm -hmm. some ways, you know, because I'm, I've already kind of, but you know, I also live the way I have from the beginning since I left, I've done everything I could to protect them. Mm -hmm. And even if it's their, well, you know, I don't overshare. You know, I don't do, I don't say or do things in front of them that would make them feel uncomfortable. I left the way that I did in such a way that would protect their dignity in their congregation, their friends, right? You know, the way that I left and then I got married and, uh, you know, so that they wouldn't lose their privileges or lose their friendships or be marked that they had a naughty daughter, you know, those sorts of things. Like I have, and I continue to do those things. I just don't rub things in their face and I respect their choice. Right. Mm-hmm. I just, I want the same in return. And so less and exactly. less, I hide away because like, I, you know, there'd be times where I'd be like freaked out that they're going to come over to my house and like, uh Oh, we have a Christmas tree up or, uh Oh, we have holiday items up. Like, what are they going to say now? I don't, it doesn't, I don't care. Yeah. I did. It, it did bother me that they came over yesterday And I actually had the Bible and the book of, you know, my book of Bible stories. And I had the (laughs) revelation book. I had it out there because I was doing some collage work. I was like, oh crap, I got to put those away. And my husband's like, why? Why are you going to put those away? Like, let him see it. I was like, because I don't want to give them false hope. Yeah. (laughs) That they think I'm studying. (laughs) You know, I don't want to. And besides, I feel like that is, I don't have the energy to have that discussion because it's none of their business, you know? And that's the thing. I don't have to have soul draining conversations or judgments <laughs> if I don't want to, and yeah. you know, and I don't have to defend myself. And so I'm not going to put myself in a, you know, there's sometimes that I pick battles where I'm like, okay, I'm going to fight this one. 
<laughs> um, but there are most of the times where I'm just like, just let them be. They have their beliefs. It doesn't have to be your belief. Absolutely. I don't rub it in their face. Don't rub it in my face. So there came a certain point where I, my mom kind of got the hint and she stopped giving me literature. It used to be every single time I would see her or she'd give me a little gift. Mm-hmm. There'd be a watchtower and they're in an awake magazine or something like that. And I would just throw it away. I wouldn't say anything. I wouldn't be like, don't give it to me. I just <laughs> had, I enjoyed throwing them away. If I could burn them, I would have burnt them. <laughs> but it was therapeutic to throw it away. And I don't have to necessarily go out of my way to be hurtful to my parents. Right. Even though sometimes I feel like they deserve it. Because I feel like, you know, it's like you don't respect my boundary. Absolutely. Why should I respect yours? But I think just like you came to the conclusion, it was just like, let me just lead by my own example and do things mm-hmm. the way I would want to be treated. And let's see how that plays out. Yeah. And it's ridiculous because, I mean, no matter what our age, we are the children in this scenario. And yeah. so the fact that we, the children, are teaching our parents how to respect others' boundaries and, like, how to respect each other's, like, hey, like, can you just not do this? Hey, can you not say that? Hey, can you? And it's like, why am I teaching you this? This is something you should have taught me in, like, yeah. elementary school when I was a toddler or something. But here I am at our big old age teaching you how to be nice to others. Like, this is sad. <laughs> this Are you not embarrassed? Well, you should be. <laughs> It's like, no, because there's just sort of righteous indignation that comes with being a Jehovah's Witness. I mean, if you're walking around the world thinking you are the only people chosen by God. Um, yeah, the arrogance. And, and wow. Like, it's, it's just that judgmental arrogance and the amount of gossip and all this other stuff that goes on in there. It's sort of like you're always looking at other people of how you're superior to them because you're God's chosen people. And that everyone else is just going to be struck down by lightning bolts <laughs> and fireballs. And there you go, get to step over their dead bodies. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's so fucked up and weird, man. Yeah. <laughs> that they're just like, oh, look at that. And then the, the literature just shows, like, smiling people, purportedly Jehovah's Witnesses, who are, like, smiling and giggling at, like, fireballs are behind them and all these dead people. Yeah. It's so creepy. Mm-hmm. Like, it's borderline psychotic. Yeah. Like, are you okay? Because you shouldn't be taking this as such a normal thing. Yeah. And then I just think that when you think, when you take all of that and you have all that imagery and all of those repetitive messages for a small young child and you don't see why that could cause development issues, like it's like, that's why, but it was just like, that was something that really kind of came through in therapy. It was like, no, you don't understand. I was, I grew up with the threat of death by God. Like, you know, <laughs> it's like, so like if I was messed up or if I lied or if I had a boyfriend, it was just, it wasn't that it, my, my mom was going to spank me. It was like, mm-hmm. you're going to be murdered by God. Like as a child, and it's just <laughs> sort of like, do you realize how messed up that is? Like that is so messed up. And if you think about it, this is something that I've been thinking about lately. Christians, traditional Christianity, believes that you, you're good. You're a good person. You can be forgiven by God or Jesus or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that when you die, you either go to heaven or hell. Right? So there's no threat that God's going to strike you down and kill you. Like, there's no smiting that we believe in and Christian, that people believe in as Christians. 
it's really in the afterlife. This whole thing is about the afterlife. So yeah. whether, you know, if, if you happen to be a, a religion or a faith that talks about reincarnation, it's about what you do in this life, how you'll transition in the next. Oh, but not Jehovah's Witnesses. There's three options for you. And I was thinking about how I'm going to collage this or how I'm going to work in this in my art journal. There's three options mm -hmm. for you as a Jehovah's Witness. It's either, well, four, I guess, if you're schizophrenic and anointed. But one, one is you die and it's black emptiness. There's nothing. You're just dead. You're gone. Gone. Nothing Not, else happens to you. Your soul, exist. you don't exist. Two, if you're anointed and you're one of the 144,000, which I'm pretty sure they already came up. They already have that number like three times over. Yes. But you go to heaven. And what that looks like, I don't know, you're God's army or something like that. But you go to, you're going to be in heaven. Three you're alive when armageddon comes and you either survive it or you get murdered at armageddon and you get slaughtered at armageddon so there's a real threat to your life it has nothing to do with allowing your life to end naturally and then the hope for some sort of afterlife and then i guess if you survive armageddon then you get to live happily forever on earth cleaning up dead bodies and buildings that were destroyed and animals and then having like all these zombies rise up and then acclimate them for you know like it's just those are mm -hmm. the realities but i realize that most all religions are not about there isn't the threat that god's going to actually do the killing it's you die and whatever happens after is because of what you did while you were living not that what you were living will decide whether you live or die as in your human flesh to me that adds an entirely new dynamic that most other religions have like you know if you are you know someone that believes in reincarnation you're like oh i gotta be a good person i've got to do this or that because you know i may reincarnate as someone of a lower caste than i am today right or i might or i'm gonna you know be something better in my next life but for jehovah's witnesses at least from my understanding of the religions that i know is the only one that i know that has a real threat to you while you're alive i think it's all in their head i think other religions that think like oh my god if i do this i'm gonna be struck down like it's not that someone told them that it's that they if i mean i wouldn't know but i think that's yeah. what it is i i think you're right in that jehovah's witnesses are different in that it's not like we just imagined it it's genuinely how they tell you it's going to happen like this is going to happen this isn't a oh i wonder what god is going to think if i do this they make it very clear if you do this god is going to kill you in armageddon 100 percent. yeah and that's going to be tomorrow <laughs> right yes let's day. not forget yeah no any <laughs> day now true. That's true. Like a thief in the night, it's gonna come. And it's right. Like, oh my god. Like. And for you know? a kid, time is so like you can't even understand the concept of time when you're really little. So you're like, oh my god, it really could be like tonight on the way home to from the Kingdom Hall. Yeah. And then I'm gonna die, but I'm so you know it's just so, it's so traumatic to have yeah. that be what is put in your little brain as a child and to think that it doesn't affect you. Like, so for so long, I did, I, because I escaped at 18 and I've lived 25 years out of it. Mm -hmm. I genuinely thought, oh, I wasn't that impacted. 
my life wasn't that impacted. And then I yeah. sat there and I took inventory of sort of, you know, what's actually happened in my life and some of the things that I struggle with. Absolutely. It's impacted my life and it still continues mm -hmm. to impact my life. And, um, you know, and so those are the things that I struggle with now. And so I'm intentionally deconstructing because even though I don't have issues with the belief systems, like I, I don't feel like I struggle with, um, going, but I don't know, I really believe this. And then I'm having doubts about their teachings. No, I a hundred percent don't believe in their teachings. Like that's that, but I'm still struggling with the indoctrination, like the, you know, all the stuff that came along with it, all the damage that it did to my psyche, to my mind as a child and sort of like missing those developmental steps and, um, you know, and so obviously I'm aware of them now and I can work through them and it can be painful and, and, and part of doing trauma work really truly is about telling your story. Uh, that's the best way to get through the trauma is to tell your story and then kind of learn from it. You'll learn your triggers and be able to set the oh, appropriate gosh. boundaries. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, that's why for me, like I said, not only do I have sensitivity to rejection because of the religion, but it's also, I have ADHD. So like, I, you know, there, that whole thing about re rejection, sensitivity, dysphoria, that's a real thing for me. I struggle that I have to work through that and realize that like, I feel rejected, but it's me. Like I'm feeling rejected. No one has rejected me. It's just, I'm talking to myself in this way and being able to know the difference of like, no, you really hurt my feelings um, versus this is me hurting my own feelings, you know? <laughs> right. But, Telling yourself mean things about yourself that no one else is thinking, no one else is saying, but you've told exactly. yourself. Yeah. Well, yeah. good. I'm glad. I'm glad that you have that support system and you have someone that's like telling you to do the ugly part of the work because yeah. in the end, I mean, the goal is that in the end we feel better. Yep. And not alone. Absolutely. With the pod. So do you feel like you're out, I guess, in the way, not just in the, you're not in the cult and you're mentally out and you don't believe it, but do you feel like you're truly, your ties are cut? I know sometimes people leave the cult and they still feel like a longing or they still feel like there's ties there. Do you feel free? Because my parents are still in it. I don't feel completely free. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I feel free to be who I am and to do the things that I want, but I don't feel the freedom to be able to share that openly with my parents. Um, so for example, I really love the celebration of day of the dead. Yeah. It's part of Mexican culture. I love it. I find a real deep connection with it. I don't think I could ever share that with my parents. Mm. They know that I like, they know that I like the little skulls and they know that I like the sugar skulls and they know those sorts of things. But if they were to come to my house and I had an altar set up, yeah, I think that would be very uncomfortable conversation. And so I think that I am free in the sense that I can, I am feeling more free to like explore my own likes and dislikes and things like that. But I don't often feel free to be completely open and vulnerable with them. And, um, and then I had thought I was completely free and it wasn't until I went to dinner with my parents a few months ago. This is how all this came up again, where I was like, Oh, I'm not over this. 
Um, I was triggered in the worst way. So for the longest time, I have not seen anyone from any of the congregations I've ever been to that I grew up in. Never really bumped into anybody. I've never, you know, those sorts of things. A couple here and there because they were really close, like family friends. But other than that, randoms from the congregation, never. And so when my parents invited my sister and her family and my family to dinner and we get there and my sister's calling me over. She's like, look, look, look who it is. And I go over there and it's this elder and his wife that I grew up with. Mm. I went, oh, hi. And I immediately turned around and walked away. (laughs) And I told my husband, I went to my husband. I had my finger in my mouth. Like I was trying to make myself vomit. I was like, okay, those are the last people I ever wanted to see. Not only was to me, he was such a hypocritical elder, his wife, even, you know, the elder's wife, typical like gossipy, had these daughters that would dress in tight clothes and like never know their daughters could do no wrong. And she was one that a couple incidents happened with her with me. One, I don't know, I was probably like 12 or 13 years old. And my mom had bought me some like Avon lip, like lip gloss kind of. And I had it on my lips at the meeting. And she came up to me with a napkin. She goes, wipe that off your lips. Excuse me? Yeah. And she, and I said, well, you can go tell my mom that because she bought this for me because I was a smart ass. And then As she you should. Went, and she went, Ugh. and I was just like, I'm not wiping that else. And then the last, the one other time, first oh, of all, like, like I said, her. her daughters. Yeah. I don't like her either. And so when I saw them, <laughs> I was like, I was so triggered by that experience that it literally unlocked years of pent up stuff. Or I was just like, it just reminded me of my whole teenagehood and like everything. It just came out all at once. And then the second incident that I remember, there were many, but the two, the two that come to mind were these. The other, I came to her house because Bible study, she lived in my neighborhood. And so we'd go to her Bible study there. And she said, you're short. Your skirt is so short. And I was like, mine's the same length as yours. (laughs) like get the fuck oh my god and I just remember I was just like okay like but meanwhile your daughter wears all these tight skirts and things flirting with all the brothers in the congregation like okay yeah sure and I just so it just seen them and they were so old because I haven't seen them in like 25 years right right and and so seeing them no. like, he, <laughs> he literally looked almost blind and he was just so old and her I didn't even recognize her and then when I walked away apparently my, he asked my sister he was just like who was that and she was like that was my sister and so I used to go by a different name my first name I don't use it anymore mm-hmm. um and um yeah and he was like oh you mean so and so and she's like no her name is you know this and and he was like oh and that was it and I was like after that it I went off the rails I went off the rails just (laughs) with like everything I was crying every day I was like angry I was like calling my therapist like this happened to me and I don't know it just unleashed a blood storm of like just of the floodgates rather of of just pain and confusion and I thought I was over this and and that's why I'm kind of on this journey now is like 
no, I've been out for 25 years and it still has a hold on me. And it's less than it was before. And, and I want it to be even less in, in the future. Um, but just circle back to your question. I think, am I free? Mostly, but not completely. It's tough. It's, it's also so shitty that the, the, it would be the family in the congregation that would trigger you. Like, I don't really know specifics and I don't want to speak for you, but I imagine that there might have been someone in your congregation that wasn't a negative experience. And it's like, it's never seems to be that any of us ever run into those ones. Because they probably left. <laughs> Touche. Okay, that's a fair point. That's a valid point. Okay. Yeah, I would hope so. Good for them. I, I mean, know, there, there are... Guys an asshole to you, you know? <laughs> there are some... Like I said, the one, the one, the couple of people that I still know that I still keep in touch with, I feel they were decent to me and they always had love for me and they treated me like family. And those are the people that I look on lovingly and go, okay, they're my family. And despite the fact that I met them through this, like they feel that way. Um, I have maintained some friendships through social media with other kind of homies you know where they're maybe not going anymore but they still feel like well i know that's the truth like th there's more of those that i know oh. like well i don't go to the i don't go to the meetings anymore but i still feel like that's the truth i'm just on a bad path right now and i need to you know um i'm too afraid sometimes to talk to those people yeah. because i'm because they're just so gossipy and that i'm afraid that if they feel any inkling that i'm being an apostate that they're going to go tell their elder dad who still talks to my parents you know what i mean mm -hmm. and so i'm very careful to not speak to them because most of the ones i kind of go how do you deal with not being in you know and and they'll be like well you know i don't really participate but i you know maybe one day i'll go back and you're like ew so, no. <laughs> i'm like yeah don't bro. how about you don't mm -mm, would yeah. not recommend <laughs> you've done most all this work people... to get out why would you go back yeah, I would say most of the people that I grew up with that like in my age group, it's about 60, 40 that are out, mm. 60 being out, 40 being in, but you know, you still see them every once in a while on social media or through my parents, they'll tell me like, oh, remember so-and-so, like, yeah. The other ones are gone. <laughs> you know, I always get the information pretty late. Um, like my mom just like picks and chooses when she wants to share information. But um, one specific one that stands out in my mind, and I don't want to speak for this gentleman because obviously there's so much nuance to it. But he was a father of someone I was very, like one of my best friends. I mean, not just close with, she was like a sister to me. Um, he killed himself. And this was maybe like a year or two after I left, I want to say. And I still think of that sometimes and just think you, it's one of those things like on the list of like, you know, sexual assault, whether it's child or not, or, you mm -hmm. know, then you add in suicide, you, you know, addictions and yes, addiction can hit anybody, but they make it seem like the cult is such like this bubble of perfection and safety and security and happiness. And so when something like that happens, I don't understand how that's not a huge 
crack in the foundation of people's beliefs? You know, the the interest was he was he a Jehovah's Witness? Was he active at the time? Oh yeah, he was an elder. Oh man, yeah, that's because I would say the other because we had a situation where there was like two people, like mostly the whole family was pretty active at the congregation, but they had a son that may have been active. I didn't really know them that well. We just we actually ended up babysitting his kids for a little while, and he ended up um, dying by suicide in front of his parents at his oh, parents' no. home. And, and I feel like that was brushed away with, oh, well, he wasn't a witness anymore. Right. And so because he was lost and I feel like they brushed things away like that. And, you know, speaking of like, you know, child sexual assault, like, I think I experienced that because in our age group, a lot of us that, you know, it's like, you know, there's a lot of inner congregation dating and things like that. And right. like, I had a friend who's, um, who married someone, they were pretty young and she'd come from another congregation in another state. And then she ended up in his congregation and she had le- their parents and everybody had left their congregation in their state because she was sexually assaulted by, um, I'm not sure if he was an elder or a ministerial servant over there. And, um, she brought it to the, they brought it to the attention of the elders of her new congregation in her new state. And they were one of first time I ever knew about this going on that they didn't report it to law enforcement. And they, um, they try to deal with it internally, but then they didn't know what to do because that person didn't belong to their congregation, like all these other things. And um, ultimately they were, you know, the family of the girl was, were like really upset, you know, by that time she'd gotten married and things like that. But she started realizing that she wanted to fight this case and bring it to law enforcement and get seek justice. And that, and that did happen. But I think in the course of it, and I don't know the details, I just know in the course of it, her family was basically shunned. Like, I don't know if they were disfellowshipped or anything else, but like nobody wanted to talk to them anymore. And she ended up, telling her story on uh, 2020. I don't know if you remember that show wow. a long time ago. Which one? She ended up, um, this would have been in the late nineties to early two thousands. Um, she was in one of those episodes where she was talking publicly about her sexual assault and how they treated her and everything else. There was a lawsuit. I believe that she was a part of once upon a time and I just remember from my side as a young adult, a, a teenager, young adult, watching her and her whole family, who were in pretty good standing, completely fall apart. They all left um, the organization because of how they were treated. And as a kid, you know, your parents are feeding you information. There's gossip in the congregation. And it's just like they were treated poorly. They were treated poorly. And it was for someone else's behavior for someone else's behavior and all they were doing was seeking justice and calling out that behavior and wanting to feel like, like, why is this person still in their position? Why are they still being allowed to attend the meetings? Uh, Why isn't he in jail? Like, you know, those sorts of things. And like, Mm -hmm. um, and I just remember that was my first like up close and personal sort of like we knew her and to see her on TV and the reaction that I saw around me was more like, oh, they're just not solid with Jehovah. That's why they're doing and this. Who, they're seeking who attention. <laughs> like, yeah. who would be after their child or themselves have gone through that? Like, that would rock my faith as well. Like, so, like, what's your yeah. point? 
but it was like they were seen as like the enemy and i just felt like that was so gross to me it was just yeah. so gross to me that that any parent or parents or sibling would have to would just have to endure that like mm-hmm. to have their daughter have to live this nightmare over and over and over again and and feel like no one was looking after her and you know her parents did the right thing and just said you know fuck you guys <laughs> you yeah. don't need to be here and um that's exactly what happened but i think that stuck with me just kind of like you know even early on you know as a young adult teenager i had already left and things when everything really hit the fan but like i knew about it there were rumors about it and just kind of going ill we're just like the rest of those religions where they allow you know clergy to sort of rape and abuse children like this is this is gross but we're not talking about it we're not talking about it yeah because talking about it would if you wanted to have like an honest and and helpful conversation would take like ownership on their part of like of course and they're not gonna do that (laughs) that takes maturity that takes true christianity to do that yeah ownership also takes accountability and look it isn't the organization that it's doing it's the individual so if you have a path forward for you know that you don't hide from law enforcement you let law enforcement do their job and if like you can't tell me that abusing a child isn't worthy of being disfellowship absolutely yeah it's like come on without a question oh my gosh um well i have one closing question for you which is What advice would you give anyone that is listening that is still either in the cult or mentally questioning the cult? Um, what advice would you give them? I would say keep searching for answers. Keep Don't hide away from truth, right? And so there's so many different um, pieces of information out there that you can explore on your own. Um, I think you should always keep in mind that an organization that is trying to tell you not to question is problematic. And you should not be afraid to question the beliefs, the structure, any of it, and follow that instinct in yours, your intuition. And, and I trust me, I know that our intuition has been harmed over years and years and years and years of just, you know, telling to shut it down and to toe the line and listen and to 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 just swallow what's been spoon fed to us. Continue researching, continue speaking to um, other people that have left. Um, just be open-minded to the information that's going to come your way. And um, I think you'll find your way. And then know that there's a complete, there's a support system for you. And it's not necessarily going to be easy if you decide to walk, to walk away. I've had to witness people that do walk away from their entire Pimmy families. Like their entire, every single member of their family is a Jehovah's Witness. And yet in order to be their authentic self, they had to leave. And that is heartbreaking because they have no one, right? Especially, um, you know, some members that have left because they have identified as something that that organization deems as wrong or sinful. Either they are, you know, um, transgender or they're gay or lesbian or whatever. They've had to leave their entire families and seek out support. There is a lot of support out there. There's community out there that will embrace you. Um, and you'll, you'll have to find your way and you will, and finding new connections, new friendships, new family or chosen family, 
um, and they're out there and let's just keep moving forward and um, try not to look back.